Awesome. We're going to have a great time this morning. We're going to continue the topic of worship all in, and we're going to be looking at why we worship and how we worship. I've got a pirate shirt here. It all will be revealed a little bit later. Pastor Simon, let's just hang it here. Victory weekend is coming. Okay, let's just check if our slides are working. We had a technical problem this morning. Amen. Awesome. Okay. Did everybody get a sheet of paper when you came in? Awesome. I want you to hold this sheet of paper somewhere that you can see it uh, throughout my message this morning. Great. All in. Are we all in? Cool. Sahil says he can't do that, though. Well, maybe after the sermon you will be able to do that. It was 2013, and uh, I was involved in a mission trip to Jordan. I went with uh, very good friends of mine, Cameron and Susie Yoray, and we were going to do some worship, to teach on worship, and to um, do worship at an at event in Jordan. And uh, it was quite a significant time, because this was the first time that all the denominations in Jordan had come together, ever had come together to worship the Lord. And they had asked Susie, um, and she had a team, I was part of the team, to help and come and lead worship. Now, if you know anything about my friend Susie Yore, she's coming to um, worship with us on the 13th of December. We're going to have a special worship night, by the way. So don't miss it. It's going to be amazing. Um, but she follows the Holy Spirit in tr- spirit and truth. She worships in spirit and in truth when she worships. And so we got there and we started singing, you know, normal songs. And then she just started going into prophetic worship. Um, and like Jeremiah, we were not well received. If you read Jeremiah, the Bible says he, he, was, he was in a time where basically everything he said, people did not receive what he said. So it felt a little bit like that. Um, and we were a little disappointed. We had saved up a lot of money to go to Jordan to go on this mission trip. You know, we had organized the band, and we had been going, uh, it was about an hour and a bit from our, our hotel to where the convention center was. Um, we'd been setting up, it was like 12 hours, bef- about 10 hours before we kind of started. It was hot Jordan in Middle East. When it is hot, man, it gets hot. Uh, so we were hot and sweaty. We were looking a little wilted as ladies, I have to confess. Um, And we walked away from that, it was about 10.30 at night, feeling slightly disappointed at that experience, even though feeling the conviction that we were obedient to what the Lord had told us to do. So we walk, we're walking out, and it's a convention center, and as we're walking out, we see uh, something very interesting happening. It's a Middle Eastern wedding, an Iraqian wedding. And these were Iraqian refugees that had come from Iraq 10 years before, and arrived in Jordan, and they were doing pretty well for themselves. And this wedding was amazing. Seven star, I mean, these ladies, the cultural dress, it was something to behold. It was just absolute beauty. So we were walking past. We were tired, hot, sweaty, looking wilted, and we were hungry. We hadn't eaten for a long time. And we just kind of sneaked in, and we saw this phenomenal Middle Eastern food feast. Um, Cameron comes from Iran, and he was like... Jesus, Jesus, that looks good. So 
word got around, I'm not sure quite how it happened, but that Susie was a famous um, singer. So the mother of the bride came and she introduced herself, and she came to Susie and she said, would you sing now at the wedding, at the reception? Um, there were a few hundred people, quite a few hundred people, so Susie, we all standing going, oh, okay, what's going to happen now? So she goes to the middle of the, there was a dance floor and there were people all around, and she goes to the middle of the dance floor, right in the middle, she stands for about three seconds, and this is what she does. Happy, 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 clap along if you feel like a room without a roof, hey, hey, hey. Clap along if you feel like a happiness is for you. And this was the response she got. People were joining in. There was a DJ in the house and he was he was doing his he's doing his whole thing and she's going on. And then she turns, the bride and the groom are on stage, and she turns to the bride and groom and she starts prophesying over them. And she says, we bless your family, we bless your children, we bless your marriage, God bless. And she just goes on and on, prophesying, blessing of God, this white Western American woman in the middle of an Iraqi wedding, in the middle of Jordan at 10.30 at night. I promise you we were the only Christians in the house. <laughs> what was she doing? What was she doing? She was ascribing honor, worth, and excellence to her God. She made a decision. She could have just walked away, but she made a decision that she was going to bring glory and she was going to bring fame to her God. Even though she is semi-famous in America, she made a decision right there and then that she was going to prophesy and she was going to bless. And that, to me, is what worship is. We ascribe honor and we ascribe worth and we ascribe excellence to God. She happened to use her gift because it was singing, but we do that day in and day out. We bring glory to God as we worship him. In everything, with everything, all in. All in, not half in, all in. Amen. Susie Yara Ray, this is a quote. I was speaking to her last night because I just wanted to check out some facts for my story. And she said, Worship in spirit and in truth is to obey God's breath and voice on your path as best you can with vulnerability and keeping it real. And that right there was really John 4, verse 23 and 24 in her own words. So why do we worship? Well, 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10 says that you are a, let's read it, Chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That's who we are. And why? Why do we worship? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is why we worship. Because we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own, own special people. Why? That we may proclaim, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we were born for. We were made to worship. A bit of a delay here. It's cool. The verse continues, once you were not a people, but you are a people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And when I think of worship, when I think of bringing honor and fame to God, I always remember why. 
always remember why. You know, we are born to worship. God made us to worship him. But when I look at what he's done for me and how he's changed my life and he's, how he's transformed my life, how he's transformed our lives, bringing us from darkness to light, what an incredible God we serve. We were born to worship. I love that picture because it just describes all in, freedom. A.W. Tozer says that if a culture does not know the true Jesus Christ, it will invest in its own God and worship that. Because we, friends, were born to worship. We were born to worship God, but if a culture does not know the true Jesus Christ, it will invest in its own God and worship that. And we see this in society today. People worship money, right? And what happens when I worship something like money? I want to just mention two things that I felt the Lord laying in my heart. That we worship money. We live in Joburg. People worship money. And that eventually orientates their entire life, their entire thought life, their time, what they do with their time, what they don't do with their time, who they give time to, who they neglect. Often it's their family and their kids and their wives or their husbands. Um, and the affections of our hearts, when we worship Whatever we worship, our affections of our heart move to the thing that we worship. The other thing the Lord laid on my heart was we worship in the society today, in the culture that we live in, we worship affirmation and we worship fame. How many likes did I get? How many likes did I get? I posted, did I get a like? Did I get a like? You know, teenagers are, how many likes did you get? Okay, that's great. We worship affirmation and we worship fame. But if we worship affirmation and we worship fame, then we will be affected by the affirmation or the rejection of others, deeply affected. In fact, it will orientate our entire lives, and we will change perhaps how we look, how we speak, who we are for the affirmation and for the fame of others. What we worship will influence us. What we worship is powerful. Exodus 34 verse 14 says, don't worship any other gods, and that word there is hippal, which means to bow down, to prostrate oneself, any other gods, God-like one, the Hebrew says the meaning is God-like one or mighty men of rank. Man, I thought that was interesting. Do not worship any other gods for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. And when I looked up the word God there, it was Jehovah, the one true God. When I looked up the word Jealous, it said it means jealous. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's what jealous means. We all know what that means. So what do we do? As we worship God, this is one of my favorite scriptures and it's deeply impacted my life and it's orientated my life, my time, my affections, my heart. Um, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, and we with unveiled faces, what does an unveiled face look like? We're no mask. We with unveiled faces because you know what? Jesus knows everything about us anyway. You know, we try and pretend, but God knows everything. He knows our failures, he knows our successes, he knows our fears. He says, come to me, worship me in spirit and in truth with vulnerability. Remove the mask. We with unveiled faces, we behold, we contemplate, we meditate, we worship, we worship together, we worship in our daily lives, we worship in our quiet time, we praise God, we bring honor to him everywhere we are. As we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are transformed changed. We are transformed. We're not the same as we were. But how are we transformed? We are transformed in the image of God. So as we spend time unveiled faces and we contemplate the Lord and we worship him and we ascribe honor and we ascribe value and we ascribe worth to God, 
what happens? We are transformed into his image, not just once, but with ever-increasing glory to glory to glory to glory, and we become more and more and more like him. So what I want to say is it's worth it. It's worth it, people. It's worth it to be all in, passionate worship, worship of Jesus. Amen. Worship is a genuine response to the response. Gen, worship is a genuine response to the revelation of God that produces a transformation in the whole person. And I've seen it. I can testify time and time again of people who have orientated their life to the worship of God, to the honor of God, to the glory of God. And in, so doing, in doing so, have neglected other idols, and you see a change in orientation in their life. Um, it's powerful. So all in, how do we worship? What does the Bible say? I'm going to mention a few things. There's a lot more. But the Bible does give us certain protocols of how we worship, how we worship corporately and how we worship in our day-to-day -day lives. And I'd like us to stand for the reading of this. I'm going to read from two passages, 1 Chronicles 13 and 1 Chronicles 15. And basically, 13, 14, and 15, this is the story very briefly, and we're going to read parts of it. 1 Chronicles 13, David just becomes king, and he brings the Ark of the Covenant. One of the first things that he does is bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant signified it was literally the presence of the Lord. 1 Chronicles 14, okay, he does it. He, he doesn't succeed. 1 Chronicles 14, life happens, yeah? He goes into battle because he's a king, and he's a new king, and in Israel that means war. Um, and then 1 Chronicles 16, 15, sorry, 1 Chronicles 15, he tries again and he brings the presence of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, to Jerusalem. So we're reading from verse 1, David conferred with each of his officers the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds. And he said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if, if it is the will of our Lord, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel, far and wide to everybody, and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's, I've been practicing that, house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ohio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps, lyres, timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets. Lots of instruments, basically. Um, when they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled, and the Lord's anger burnt against Uzzah. And he struck him because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that is pla this place is called Perez Uzzah. So that's attempt number one, to bring the presence of the Lord to Jerusalem. A little hectic. Praise and worship. A little intense, right? 1 Chronicles 15. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and ministered before him forever. David assembled all of Israel once again, the whole of Israel, not just the band, all of Israel in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to play to the place he had prepared for it. David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their fellow Levites as musicians to make a joyful sound with musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. 
Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, and as were the musicians, and Kenaniah, who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. David also wore a linen ephod. So all of Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of rams, horns, and trumpets, lots of instruments, basically. And as the ark of the covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. Note she was not involved in the procession even though her husband had called the whole of the nation of Israel to come and worship and bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, she saw King David dancing and celebrating, and she despised him in her heart. Thanks. You may be seated. I see a few things from this passage. When David becomes king, he's already famous. In 1 Samuel 18 verse 7, we see that the ladies are gathered around and um, maybe they were men, but they just say the ladies. And they were singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David slain his ten thousands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Saul has slain his thousands, David slain his ten thousands. They were singing that, like, you know, a song of the victory of David. David was famous. He was known throughout the land. He had accomplished uh, many uh, victories. So just remember that David was famous. During the reign of Saul, the Ark of the Covenant was not a priority. Nowhere to be seen, the presence of the Lord. One of the first things, oh, one of the first things David does when he becomes king is to bring the presence of God to the people of God. One of the definitions, and we're going to look at it now, is halal. Um, and one of those definitions of praise is to make God famous. The Bible says that David was a man after his own heart. Did David make mistakes? Yes. Did David make really big mistakes? Oh, yes. Really big mistakes. But you see that David's orientation of his heart of his life passion, really of his devotion, whether he's a shepherd boy, whether he's a king, a governor, whether he's a, a poet, a musician, whether he's a father, <clears throat> a family man, excuse me, um, we see that the devotion, even when he fails, the devotion of his heart and the passion of his heart is orientated towards God. And that impacts what he does. It impacts in obedience what he does. It's not just cool and okay to sing great choruses and have no transformation in our lives, right? So one of the first things David does, he becomes king and, and he says, hey, we don't have the presence of God with us. Let's do that. Let's bring the presence of God into our environment so that we are aware that God is with us all the time and that we raise the generations and the next generations to worship God and be aware that God is in the midst of his people. Amen? Okay, next point. He fails the first time, but he doesn't give up. I'm just going to leave it there, because sometimes we fail the first time, and sometimes we give up. Everybody was involved, and not just the band. Can we all stand? Everybody was involved, and not just the band. So when we sing, actually everybody's involved and not just the band, because we are the worshipers of the Lord, amen? So when we sing, how great is our God, sing with me. And all will sing, how great, how great is our God. This is just a stage. But we are the people of God, and we worship him together. David, he called, you may sit, sit down. David calls all the people of the land to come and worship and celebrate. And it's really important because in Western society, 
Um, we've, you know, we, we've made the stage and we call ourselves worship leaders and there's music and that's awesome. But in Bible times, there wasn't a stage. The musicians were all around and they were singing and day in and day out, they grabbed an instrument and worshiping the Lord with the people because we are the worshipers. God is seeking worshipers, not instruments, but worshipers. We are the worshipers that worship him in spirit and truth. So we serve and we facilitate in a sense and we bring in, which is we're not gonna do today, but it's really powerful. We bring in the power of sound and the power of music, which God ordained, he put in our very DNA to be musical beings, but we are the worshipers, amen. That's really important. And secondly, he, he follows, okay, sorry, number, point number six, the second time he follows the protocol and the way of worship. So we're not gonna go into it um, now, but he basically looks at what, is, what did God say about the presence of God, about carrying the presence of God, about celebrating around the presence of God. And the second time around, he prepares a place for the Lord, he gets the Levites, he gets the priests involved, um, and he, he does it according to uh, the law of Moses. David gets fully involved even though he is king. So David is the most famous man in the children of Israel, uh, in, the, in the nation of Israel at that time, right? I mean, he's king of highest rank. Okay, I'm going to tell you a quick story. How much time do we have? What time do we end? Quarter two. Okay. Um, so they are bringing the Ark of the Covenant from Obed Eden's house um, to Jerusalem. It was five or six kilometers, more or less. The Bible says that every six paces, one, two, three, four, five, six, they offered up praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. Every six paces from five to six kilometers. This was the second time around. I think David was just making sure that he did it right. Um, some say that it was actual sacrifices that they offered. Some theologians say that it was off, uh, sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, the fruit of our lips to the Lord. But whichever way it was, once again, you see the orientation of the worship of God, making God famous, bringing honor and value and worth to God, yeah, as he does it. David goes in the front of the procession. Now, what happened in Bible times, when there was a victory, um, you would have the most important people at the back and they would be on some sort of throne or, and, you know, probably people carrying them, sitting in their robes, looking awesome. We won the battle. Um, and then you would have kind of, it would go down in order from there. You know, the soldiers, etc., etc. And then they would put some of the captors right in front of the procession. And what they would do is they would make those captors dance and actually look like fools. And as they were entering into their city, their own city, this would be a sign that they had won, that the victory was theirs, and they would like mock their captors, you know, go and just be fools, be fools in front of us. So here we see David, the king, one of the, the, the most famous man, the highest man, the president, the governor, the king, um, it wasn't a democracy at that stage. In the Bible, there was no democracy. What the king said, he was, he was literally considered a god. He goes, and he goes in a linen ephod. Some people say it was knickers. Some people say it was a bit more. But it was a linen ephod. Um, so it wasn't his kingly robes. And he goes, and he celebrates, and he dances, and he halals the Lord. The Bible says that word for praise in Hebrew is halal. And this is one of the ways we worship him. Gonna... There we go. He allows the Lord, and halal means to shine, to boast, to rave, to celebrate, to be clamorously.
foolish. Isn't that incredible? The significance of what David did. He made, and the last one is to make God famous. If you're worshiping God, is to make God famous. And in that moment, the most famous man in the, in the nation of Israel makes a declaration that, God, I'm going to make you famous. In my rule, one of the first things he does is he brings the presence of God and he says, I'm going to make you famous. Halal is one of the most used words for praise in the Old Testament. To shine, to boast, to celebrate the Lord, to be clamorously foolish. Sometimes we just want to look good, right? Sometimes we just want to look cool, we want to dance cool. Some of us can dance and look cool, some of us can't. Uh, does it matter when we celebrate our God, when we shine, when we boast, when we celebrate, when we rave? These are not just external expressions, but this is something that comes from the heart and bubbles up within, and it just moves into God. I'm going to celebrate you because I'm, worship is all in. God says, don't be hot and don't be cold. Don't be hot, be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm. Be all in when we worship me. And I love people who, like the 24 elders in Revelation, they put down their, their crowns, they put down important things, and they worship Jesus. And they go prostrate before the, before the Lord, prostrate before the Lord like this. Because it's a declaration whoops, of who God is. That word prostrate in the, in the um, Greek is proskoneo. And it means it's one of the most well-used words in worship in, in the New Testament because it's an acknowledgement that, God, I'm aspiring greatness and worth and glory to who you are. You know, one of the things that has impacted me about Pastor Simon, we've been doing worship nights for about six years now, once a month. We started with just a dream and a vision to just worship Jesus and have unhurried time in his presence. But one of the things that has impacted me about Pastor Simon is that he almost never misses a worship night. And he's not on duty. He hasn't got stuff to do. He comes to worship Jesus. And that is something that has deeply impacted me about Pastor Simon's life. You can see the priority and the orientation of his life, yeah? May we make God famous. The Bible says that David halaled the Lord, that word praise the Lord, it's halaled the Lord seven times a day, every day. He was a pretty important guy. He was the king. He had some duties, governmental duties, you know, but the Bible says that he lulled the Lord seven times a day. I'm not sure what that lull looked like. I don't know if he broke out in singing, if he made God famous, but he was aware of the value and the worth and the orientation of his life every single day, in fact, seven times a day. The next praise word is shabach, which means to shout, to commend, to address in a loud tone. Yes, it is biblical to shout, to shabach the Lord. Um, we were doing that today. Amen. Did you see just that? Yeah. How great is our God? You just want to like, yeah! How great is our God? Okay. When the pirates won yesterday, what did all the pri pirates lovers go? Yeah, awesome. I'm so glad my team won. No, no, they did not. I can guarantee you. Um, Pastor Simon was with some of them, and he witnessed what they did. <laughs> right? Because God has made us like that. You see victory, something victorious, something within you bubbles up. And um, 1 Chronicles, we see it throughout the Bible, but 1 Chronicles 16 verse 35 and Psalm 106 verse 7 um, is, is relating to praising the Lord, shabaching God, um, 
this bubbling up of saying, God, you are great, after they experienced a triumph or a victory. Psalm 145, verse 4, my kids know it well, because it says one generation will shabach, will declare, I don't want to scare your daughter, so I'm not going to, but um, it's one generation to the next generation, will shabach, will declare the mighty deeds from one generation to the next generation. We have many generations here. And I will remind the next generation, hey, God is great. God is amazing. Don't stop loving God. Serve God, yeah? One generation will shabach to the next generation the greatness of God to praise God, to remind. I'm going to remind my kids, Dominic, Alexandra, praise God, worship God, bring worth and value to God. God is amazing. God is mighty. God is powerful. And I'm not going to whisper it. I'm going to shout it so that they will hear it and never forget the greatness of God over their lives. And they're going to take it further. Amen. Zama. That is to pluck the strings, connotation of both singing and playing. And we do this, obviously, in a corporate setting. We see that this is powerful. God has used music throughout the Bible in a really powerful way. We see that when David, the famous one, when he plucked the strings with the yud, with the hand, with the yud, he plucked the strings um, before Saul was experiencing demonic activity in his life. And he said, bring me a psalmist. And David plucked the strings and the demons fled from Saul. They kept coming back because he wasn't submitting to the Lord. But they fled from Saul and he experienced peace. And we see so many times in the Bible um, just the power of music and the power of sound. And that is why when we are here, when we're singing about the peace of the Lord, we're playing the peace of the Lord. Because music has the power to move emotions, to stir us in ways that possibly bypasses our logical being. Um, it, doesn't got, it doesn't have the power to change us. God's anointing and Holy Spirit comes, the Bible says, and, and changes us. But God uses music as a powerful, I don't even want to say it's a tool because it's much more than that. It's a part of, of who we are. Colossians 3 verse 16 said that let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish, admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with gratitude, thanksgiving in your heart. We see singing throughout the Bible. Sometimes I think it's a bit weird. We come as adults together and we sing. I mean, it's a bit weird, right? It's a bit strange. Does, do our non-Christian friends do that? No, they don't. But nevertheless, the Lord commands us to do it. The, more, the Lord both encourages us and commands us to come together and to sing there's many things that happen when we sing together, which we're not going to go into now because that's a teaching all in itself. Come to the God Pursuit if you want to learn more about that. Um, but there's something when we come together and when we sing. And there's something when we come together and we sing every tribe, every tongue, every language. And we get a little uncomfortable, yeah? But we sing and we worship God together. Yada is to raise the hands in thanksgiving and praise. You see that throughout the Bible as well. They yada the Lord. Uh, one, of the, one of the interpretations say, extend the hands, which I love. This is like raising the hands. This is extending the hands. This is all in for me. I'm going to just raise my hands. I'm going to extend my hands to the Lord. And you see the, the theme of thanksgiving throughout the Bible. Uh, it's significant that when David uh, 
Did, when he, 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 every six paces, he offered up praise and thanksgiving. How do you enter into the presence of the Lord? The Bible says that you come into his gates, you enter into his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. doesn't mean that we always have to sing a song that has the word thanksgiving in. We come and we enter the presence of the Lord. We come with an awareness of God, with thanksgiving in our heart. Do we come into the presence of the Lord with unforgiveness in our heart? Do we come into the presence of the Lord being grumpy? Do we come into the presence of the Lord with bitterness? The Bible says, enter into his gates. That's protocol with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving in your heart. Okay, the last one is barak, which means to kneel, to bless the Lord. I was singing a song um, 14 years ago on this very stage, and it was, blessed be your name. You guys may know it, some of it. On the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. So first service, that was one of the songs. Awesome, incredible song. I was 12 weeks pregnant, experiencing some discomfort as I was leading. But I didn't really give it a second thought. To cut a long story short, um, straight after the praise session, I could feel something was not right. Um, and I miscarried, literally between the two services and had to be rushed to go to hospital straight after that, and they had to get somebody else to lead worship, because, you know, I wasn't going to be doing it. Um, but I had just sang that song, Blessed be your name, you know, every blessing. These songs we sing, right? Like five minutes after me declaring that song in the assembly, in the house, um, I miscarried, and I lost my child. And as I was driving to that hospital, there was a lot of thoughts going through my mind because I just sung, sung, I will bless the Lord. And sometimes, as in Psalm 103, we just need to say, as David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And that's a form of praise. When things are going well, when things are not going well, I will rise up and I will declare to my soul, bless the Lord, Oh, my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So I just want to end to say that there are many ways that we can worship Jesus. God says in John 4 that you keep seeking those who will worship me in spirit and in truth. But ultimately, worship comes from the orientation of, of who we are, um, what we are orientating our life to, and who we ascribing greatness and worth and value to. Amen.